Well, good morning. I'm glad to be back seeing all of your wonderful faces again. Uh, and normally I say I hope you had a good week, but I think it's probably more appropriate to say I hope you've had a good summer so far as it's been a few weeks since I've been here. Um, and I have a few questions or observations to start out. Does it feel awkward to see me up here again? Does it feel odd? I mean, awkward is awesome, as I love to say, but does it feel odd to see me? You know, normally it's just a shorter break towards Ohio or a vacation or something like that, and this has been a longer stretch of time. And as I prepared for today, what went through my mind was the same thing that maybe goes through a lot of minds when you have a vacation and it comes the weekend and you think of Monday and you have to go back to work. And you might be longing for the beach or you might be longing for that vacation again. Anybody else go through that? Kids, in just a few weeks, school's going to be starting and maybe you might have to adjust your schedule because you've been staying up late and you're going to have to go to bed earlier so you can wake up on time for school. Are you dreading that a little bit? Do you groan like, I don't want to? I mean, we can get that way at times, can't we? Parents, are you ready for those battles? You know, it might take a few weeks to get back into the swing of things. It might take a few weeks to get comfortable and through my time of sabbatical, those types of thoughts would definitely pervade my mind a little bit about what it would be like when I get back in the pulpit and jump back in the saddle and how's it going to be because it's a little bit longer than that trip to Ohio that I would normally take. Some people might be glad to see me. Thank you, Tim. Uh, some people might have to warm up to me again, get used to my humor, get used to my style because it's unique. Uh, some people might be relieved to see me. And this is at the point of my message where I was going to call out the elders being relieved to see me because I'm back, but seeing as none of them are here, um, yeah, but I do want to thank them and I want to thank Steve for taking the time to uh, invest in God's word and share what's been on their heart the past few weeks. I truly appreciate all that they do, but I am glad to be back. I'm glad to... Um, prepare for this upcoming season with you all. Uh, I'm excited how God is going to move. Uh, through my time of sabbatical, I reflected on a few different things. Of course, I've asked the question, you know, how has this time off been beneficial for me, for my heart, my mind, my soul? And also, how has it been beneficial for you all? Um, I want to start with you just to give you some glimpse into my, some of my history. Um, before I was a pastor, the times that I grew the most in my faith had always been when there wasn't a senior pastor because I had to step up or people had to step up and be the church and do things and use the gifts. You know, sometimes we can fall into the, those patterns of, well, the pastor's here, he can take care of it, he can do it. And we miss that whole picture of the priesthood of believers where everyone has been gifted by God to, to serve the kingdom in different ways and beautiful ways. Um, so I think, um, I think if 
anything like this were to happen again, or if there is to be a sabbatical ever again in the future, I would prepare you guys a little bit differently for that. I mean, it's all new to all of us. I've never had a sabbatical before. I've never done something like this before. Um, during my time of sabbatical, I traveled a bunch. I traveled over 7,000 miles, visited 14 different states. I ate a bunch of different food. I read a bunch of books. I read books preparing for a future sermon series um, as well as the one that we're going to be going into. I spent hours in prayer, hours in prayer for this body, for my family, for next steps uh, moving forward, preparing myself for different conversations, decisions, and purpose. And purpose was kind of where I landed. I mean, you could probably look back to this past week at the things you've done and ask yourself, why did I do these things? What was the purpose behind doing those things? And it could be a simple answer. You know, I went to work so I can make money to pay off bills to put food on the table. Okay? It can be very simple in that. But sometimes we just get in the habit and we do things and that purpose is not always to the front of our mind. That purpose is not as intentional as it might need to be. And I really sought the Lord for my purpose through this time. As a pastor, I frequently ask this type of a question. At least twice a year, I ask, all right, Lord, what would you have me do? What are some things that I need to be speaking about? What are some of the things that people need to be growing in? Where would you have me go as a pastor? Then you can take this question to the church. As a church as a whole, what is the purpose of Harvest Alliance? Why are we planted here in Minden, Iowa? Now, how do you answer that question? What is our purpose? How many of you would say that you know our vision statement and have ownership in what that is? It's kind of a trick question. What is your purpose individually? Why are you here as a part of this body? Why does God have you planted within this body? And here's the hook. How many of these answers involve glorifying and worshiping God, serving him in obedience? How many of those answers involve our own conveniences, our own agendas, our own preferences? I come because of the music because of the pastor, because of my friends. They seem Bible-believing. I like how they do this. I like how they do that. You know, when I think of purpose, I think, is God central for what I am doing? It's a question that we could and should probably ask every day of our lives and what we're doing and what we're saying. Is what I'm saying, is what I'm doing honoring God? Is it, is it glorifying Him in some way? And when we're honest probably know it's not as true as it needs to be in our lives. It's not always there. So I want to encourage us over the next few months to dive a little bit deeper into purpose, understanding what that's going to look like. You know, we have a general purpose, of course, to worship and glorify God, serving Him in obedience. And there are many ways that we can go about doing that. Um, over these next few months, we're going to enter into some different difficult conversations some potentially hard journeys considering the direction of this church. I especially ask our members to be in prayer uh, about the vision and mission 
of this church and how you are included in all of that, what that means for you as a church member. And as we contemplate these topics and subjects, I want to try to give us ownership. I want to try to give us understanding of what the Word says, Um, understanding that what we're doing corporately to worship and glorify God and how that can build up everyone, how we're living out our lives according to the Word of God, taking his, His Word of truth to those around us. Uh, Through this time, I want to walk through the book of Colossians with you, where we're going to take a deep dive, uh, probably over the next three or four months, uh, some smaller sections that we're going to be going through, um, where we're going to look for some points on doctrine, on correction, on purpose of the church, as it comes to understanding who Christ is and having us walking worthily. Um, Being an intro type of message today, I want to do some background work of the book of Colossians, of this time period with you, and then we will read the book of Colossians as well. So a little bit of background work. It's written by Paul while he is in prison. So it is one of his prison letters that is sent to a church that he never visited. It deals with heresies. It deals with false teaching. Uh, In many ways, you'll find that it mirrors the book of Ephesians. A lot of the verses are just about exactly the same. So you're going to see a lot of similarity between the book of Ephesians and Colossians. But again, it attacks different heresies and false teachings that are very unique to this book. And I think that will hopefully prove useful to us as well. Now, sometimes I use big words uh, that you might not know. A heresy is a wrong teaching or a wrong doctrine. Now, when we boldly state something about God or about the Bible, can we be wrong at times? Yep. Are we heretics? Perhaps, but probably not. You know, most of the time we understand heresies as blatant teachings against Christ or against Christian doctrine. So doctrine just means teaching. So tenets of Christianity that are widely accepted. No, there are definitely twistings and subtleties that we need to watch out for that could be false, that those can rise up in the church, um, and they could be dangerous. You know, and what we might say from time to time that it could be wrong or a belief that we might carry for a season We could be just waiting on the Lord to grow us in maturity. And it could be an honest mistake. It could be something that aligns more with traditions or interpretations, or maybe you just haven't um, dove deep enough into that topic or into the word to understand that. Um, And what's needed is truth being brought before your eyes because the truth sets us free and God sanctifies us in truth as the gospel of John teaches us. So we want the the Spirit to illuminate that truth in our lives. So again, just to push for us to be in the Word. Now, I've I've used this example in the past when we walked through Genesis and creation. Um, I used to hold on to a theory of creation called the gap theory, uh, which believed that, you know, one day, and it's based on the verse of how one day could be like a thousand years and a thousand years could be like a day to God. And it was just kind of like an in-between position and like trying to make both sides happy. And I used to hold on to that uh, position 
until I went to the Creation Museum and they gave me some different verses that I had to wrestle with that I couldn't really resolve otherwise. And after that, I became more in the camp of a young earther to understand how creation was formed. So again, was I believing a heresy at that time? I wouldn't say so because I'm trying to use scripture and I'm using scripture to verify that. Now, when we talk about heresies, you think of all of us would be considered heretics to the Roman Catholic Church because we're Protestants, right? Just like we would probably view the same way towards them. You know, sometimes when you get into this type of thing, it can just be a shouting match. And you find that people are quick to judge others that they disagree with a heretic. And that can be dangerous too. Being a pastor, I know many things I say from time to time may be disagreed with. Does that make me a heretic? I've been called a heretic, been called a blasphemer. It's not fun. I don't really wish that on people. Um, and as I, part of the thing in sabbatical, I also celebrated another birthday, so I'm another year older, a little bit more wiser, a little bit more gracious with people, at least I try to be. You know, rather than just dismissing, so another thing as a pastor is I hear a lot of things as a pastor. I hear a lot of weird beliefs as a pastor. And instead of just straight off dismissing it, unless it's, you know, obviously blatant, I check my own heart first. I try to take things back to Scripture because that is our standard. Everything needs to be taken back to the Word of God. That is the standard. Not me, not them, not a scholar that you love, not a, a systematic theology that you follow. The Word of God. And the Spirit will illuminate that truth through His Word. And if we're not in His Word, if we're not being fed by it, then our thoughts are just that. There are thoughts. And they're tainted by our own sinfulness. I found in these types of discussions one of the greatest questions you can ask for something that you might disagree with is, can you show me where you find that in the Bible? It's a lot gentler answer than just straight up calling somebody a heretic. Because honestly, in a lot of these different areas, many of us have our go-to verses. Many of us have these verses that we just camp out in. And we might have blind spots to other areas of the Bible. We might have blind spots, you know, when you're reading something for the umpteenth time and it just, oh, I didn't know that that was in there. That's what I love about the Word of God. You can always go there and find something rich, find something amazing that maybe you've read over before. And when, when you ask that question, especially for somebody who might just be basing it on tradition or it's just something that they've always heard and maybe they don't know and they're making an honest mistake, it's a much more gentle type of answer that doesn't quench their spirit or doesn't quench their hunger for the Lord by introducing bitterness and questioning their salvation. Now, asking that type of question can also have the conversation stop there because they might not have a Bible verse backing that up because it's just tradition or it's just an interpretation that they've always heard. That gives us an opportunity to share what we believe and why, assuming that we know what we believe and we can back it up with the scripture. Again, as I've gotten a little bit wiser in this area, I'm hoping to use more discernment to disciple someone rather than to bludgeon them over the head. You know, heresy is obviously still around. Sadly, it's 
infiltrating areas of the church and it does need to be addressed. It does need to be called out. There's false teachings and twistings of the word that might have a philosophical or intellectual appeal, something that makes us feel better on the inside about our own states where they are currently rather than being um, changed into the image of God and transformed into the image of God. And areas where we might be idolizing something other. You know, where we're lifting something other than God in that place. And, and what we're going to see in the book of Colossians is Paul is going to address a lot of these different heresies that are influencing the early church. There's a lot of different influences that were going around with false teachings, with other teachers, with wolves that were coming in trying to, to lead the, the sheep astray. You had Judaizers, people that thought that the Gentiles would first have to become Jewish in order to become Christian. You then had these groups of people called the Gnostics. Now, in this time period, it would just be the early, early seeds of Gnosticism starting. Gnostics come from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And they believed that you needed a special knowledge that they had in order to be saved. They also believed that all material things, material in general, was evil. So God could not create the world because the world is material. Since we are material, Jesus also was not actually human. He was more like a holographic type of divine figure. So think about after the resurrection as he comes into the locked room. So they would think that Jesus was more like that, like a figure that can just pass through walls. Okay? And again, they, you needed that special knowledge to be saved. Um, so the seeds are starting in this area. From the east, you had the mysticism that was coming in to pervade the minds of the people in unhealthy ways. And then you had asceticism. Asceticism is a very strict self-denial of the body. Many times you would be torturing your body, whipping your body. Um, monastic monks would have... Uh, some aesthetic things in their lifestyle, maybe not to those extremes. In this time period, you had a group of people called the Essenes, very cultish. They would go out in the wilderness and live, um, very OCD-ish in terms of cleanliness and uncleanliness. Um, some wild stories and some writings of Josephus about some of their practices. But it's also believed that this group of people are who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we do have them to thank for that. Um, because they lived out in these caves away from everyone else. So we have all of these different influences coming in to this new church. Go back in history. Think about when you were a new believer. Maybe you go into a church and you've got 10 people coming at you saying, this is what you need to believe. This is the group you need to join. You need to come over here with us because this is the true way. What are you going to do? You know, as a new believer, you're impressionable, right? You're, gonna be, you're just going to follow because you think that this person's going to lead me in the right path, in the right way, and you're looking for someone to disciple. You know, discipling is such an important thing that the church has lost in a lot of ways. Where our senior saints come alongside of our younger people and help bring them up in the faith. Where, where we're learning from somebody, we're walking with somebody, and we're bringing someone along as well. You know, and, and in this day and age, you think about rabbis and, and teachers, and a disciple was someone who followed, right? 
And the saying goes, you wanted to follow that rabbi so closely that you would catch the dust off of their feet. That you're following in their footsteps so closely. So these people, this is how they are ingrained. This is how they would learn trades. This is how they would learn things in life. And when it comes to Christian faith, they would be following people. And all of these other influences are coming in. So Paul is warning against these wolves, warning against all of this other stuff. And what he does in the book of Colossians is so beautiful because he teaches Christ. The book is set up, it's four chapters. It's set up where the first two chapters teach about the preeminence of Christ. They teach about who Christ is. They talk about how he is perfectly satisfactory for all that they need. They don't need to look anywhere else other than Christ. Christ is your all in all. His sacrifice was, is, and will ever, forever be perfect. You don't need to add anything else for salvation. And it's from that revelation of Christ that the Christian life would naturally flow. And that's what the second two chapters talk about. Practically applying what Christ is, where he is indwelling that person and, and his presence is manifested in that person. So Paul is he's trying to close the door on some of these teachings that could lead people astray. These, these teachings that would tell people that Christ wasn't the only way, that would say that Christ wasn't enough, that he wasn't divine, that he's not God, that you needed Christ and. And that's a dangerous teaching, one that still infiltrates the church today for whatever good purposes, for whatever good reasons. You need Jesus and you better be going to this type of church. You need Jesus and you better believe in this way. You know, when we tie all of those things to salvation, we're creating false teaching. And Paul is fighting back against that hard. Paul is saying that, that Christ is supreme. And he's warning the people not to return to their prior ways and not to be led astray. And I think that the church could gain a lot from a deep dive into this book because there's such, such strong encouragement and there's such strong pictures of life within, within this book. You know, we live in a time and an age that pushes for toleration, that pushes for acceptance, that wants to meld everything together and all roads lead to heaven. And if we find exclusion, well then that's hateful, that's bigoted, that's not loving. The world will try to get us to harmonize many beliefs coming up with this superior religion that tolerates all. It puts man at the center. It puts your own needs at the center. And faith becomes diluted because of these, quote-unquote, well-meaning attempts to synchronize everything. But when you think about it, not everything synchronizes. You think about the Eastern religions whose end goal and outcome is nothingness versus our end goal is eternity with the Father. Completely different outcomes. So they can't really harmonize. Through the influence of culture, we see things seeping into the church. And it's a delusion. It's, it's a diluting of faith. It's a diluting of who Christ is. Now in some churches, perhaps they are blatantly flat out denying Christ, or at least they're presenting a picture that has nothing to do with Christ. But I would say for most churches, 
for most Christians, what is happening is a dethroning of Christ. Or they're robbing him of his rightful preeminent place on the throne. Where he's the savior, you're a ticket to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. But is he really your Lord? I think that's where a lot of us struggle in the day-to-day, in the sanctified life, understanding that he is our Lord and that we need to submit. That belief is just as false as some of these others, as subtle as it may seem. Now, through my sabbatical time, the Lord has been working on a few things in my own heart, in my life, things that I want to change in terms of habits and patterns, things that I can fall, to, fall into as well. Um, and I want to be encouraging you through this time, through this season in many ways. Um, one of the big ways as we go through this series is I want to encourage you to bring your own Bibles with you. Um, technology is wonderful. It's great, it's convenient, but there's just something different about having the Word of God open in your lap. It presents a little bit more reverence, or at least an opportunity for a little bit more reverence, a little bit more understanding of holiness. I will also get in the habit of inviting you to stand as we read the Word of God, as you're able. Um, I want to give us space to grow out of some of that complacency, to grow out of different comforts that maybe we just take for granted, or maybe we're not treating God as holy as we should. So if you do not have a Bible today, I do have a box of Bibles on the back that you could use. There are some under some of the chairs that you could use. Um, And if you do not have a personal Bible, please let me know. I would love to get you a Bible. I'd love more than anything just to get the Word of God in your hands. Today we're going to be starting the book of Colossians, and I want to read the whole book with you. Um, Again, we're going to break it up over the next few months into smaller sections. I encourage you to pray. I encourage you over the next few weeks to read through this several times on your own. Take notes, ask questions. Dive deeper into it. So, I invite you to stand as we read God's word today. Again, you don't have to stand for it all. If you get tired, you may sit back down. It's okay. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in, his, in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You have been filled in him, who is the head of all, rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, 
in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, or in regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from which the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. you may I have a seat? If you recall, gosh, I don't know, it's been a couple years now. Um, I did a short series on the single chapter books in the Bible so that we could have that, you know, that pride that we read a whole book of the Bible, you know. Think about doing that with Jeremiah or Isaiah or something a little bit longer, a little bit more complicated. But you know, four chapters, it's not extensively long, but I'm hoping that you see how rich it is. You know, some of the things that we talked about that I've mentioned here in the beginning for this intro, I'll hit a lot harder as we go through some of the, the, the breakdowns of the passages. 
and we make note of some of the language that's being used. For instance, with the, Gnostic, the Gnostics, they would use words like knowledge and wisdom and fullness. So then when you take notice of that and you make an observation that Paul uses that same language, but he turns it back to Christ, you can see how he is combating that. And it's such a beautiful thing to see. Um, in some of the books that I've done, uh, many times I will give a thrust kind of a main idea of a passage. So like whenever I teach through Ecclesiastes, I will read the very last paragraph first before I start teaching it. That way we can have that paragraph in mind as we're going through it. The paragraph that talks about, you know, everything else is said, I don't know. This is what I do know. Fear God, obey his commands. That's how you read through Ecclesiastes to understand all of the vanity, all of the things that he has pursued that is meaningless. And similar to, to that with Colossians, there's a few passages that I want us to stick out that express Paul's heart in what he's writing. In chapter 1, if you want to flip back there, uh, verses 9 through 14, uh, focusing on 9 and 10, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. We see Paul's heart in that, especially in 9 and 10. And as I said, the division of Colossians, you have the first two chapters and the second two chapters. The first two chapters speak about the preeminence of Christ. He's talking about Christ. And Paul's prayer is that they be filled with all spiritual wisdom. That spiritual wisdom is going to be Christ. That's what he's going to instill in their hearts and minds. And then to walk worthily. That's the second two chapters. Now that you're filled with Christ, this is the natural application. This is how you're going to, to walk this out. And he also answers this prayer in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay. And you have been filled in him who is the head and rule and of all rule and authority. So again, he is answering that question that you be filled with spiritual wisdom and knowledge and that answer is in Christ. Oh, and it's already happened because you are already filled. So again, we, we can be forgetful. We can fall back into our patterns. And Paul is speaking against this. So again, we see some of the, the purposes within this passage that I want us to, to view this whole book through that I want us to be aware of the lens that we're going to be walking through this to see how Paul defends the preeminence of Christ. We also want to remember again, Paul has not met these people. You know, it's Epaphras who probably was there in Ephesus when Paul was there raising the church, heard the gospel message. He took that back to his own people, to his own homeland in Colossae. And then he started the church there. He started sharing the gospel message there. Um... And he is, of course, in prison in Rome as he is trying to write this to bring encouragement to a body that is going through hard stuff. 
So again, I hope that you can begin to see the richness of this book, even just through a first reading. As we walk through this, we want to apply it to our current situations, to our current culture. And I pray that, just as Paul did for the Colossians, that you can be filled with all spiritual wisdom that's found in Christ, that's found in Jesus, our, our Lord and Savior. We have the opportunity to grow in a study like this if we're humble enough to accept it. You know, do you ever take for granted the fact that every week we get to come and we get to worship God who sent his son to die on our behalf, to pay that redemption price, to forgive us of our sins? Do we ever take that for granted? The fact that we have such great joy because of salvation, that we come in, re, in a joyful way to praise God for that salvation. I mean, sometimes our circumstances are up and down. And when we're a high, yeah, we're praising God. But when we're down, it's a lot harder to do that. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, his, and the joy that we have from that should dictate how we approach him. It's an amazing truth that we get to come and hear each week. An amazing truth that we get to come and open the word of God and read together and worship together. But we have a culture that wants to combat us. We have a culture that wants to tell us other things. False teachings, heresies. So we need to guard our hearts and minds. Reject any of these thoughts that might lead us away from salvation. Because that is the truth. And that's what we need to hold firmly on to. I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to see how the Lord will lead us through this next season. And I want to encourage you to, to be in the word and to read ahead. To take notes. To ask questions of the book of Colossians. Because it's going to be a fun time. Let's pray. Lord, as we... Um, come here today. We just, again, want to lift you up and praise you for the salvation that is offered through Jesus. And Lord, through the different weeks that we've had, the hardships, the joys, the highs, the lows, Lord, I pray that we can see where you were in all of those times. That we can begin to dive into purpose uh, of our faith, purpose of why you have us here, as we can serve you. Lord, I just pray that you would help our hearts and minds when it comes to our walk, when it comes to our faith. Lord, that you would allow us to move and act and speak out of grace and love, a portrait of what you have given all of us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to those deep parts in our hearts right now. Those fears, those anxieties, those worries that we have. And Lord, that your healing touch, that your healing word would come upon those. Lord, continue to draw your words to our minds in those moments of weakness. Continue to bring people into our lives that will speak truth to us. As iron sharpens iron, Lord, there's going to be sparks. So I just pray, Lord, that we are ready for that. Help shake us out of our complacency and lukewarmness. 
move us into the freedom of your Son. Lord, help us to be equipped to go out into a lost and hurting world that needs to know your truth, that needs to know the love of a Father that has sent his Son for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, you, you have that written on all of our hearts and minds. I pray that you give us the opportunities to share that. Allow us to be your hands and feet this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.